Um, sorry, I just decided we're going to do something slightly different. I'm just going to do a very brief introduction, and then Joe's going to bring our reading. So um, I think it'll work better this way around. So um, we begin uh, our new series this morning, and it is called After God's Heart. And it is predominantly looking at the life of David, who became King David. And uh, the phrase, after God's heart, I think has a great double meaning, which you've probably picked up on already. There's, there's, um, on one level, is a description of David having the same heart that God did. So the characteristics, the things that God did, the way David went about things was the same as God's way. The way that David cared was the way that God's ca- God cares. The way that uh, David was compassionate was the way that God is compassionate, and so on. He reflects God's heart, if you like. But there's also the other meaning, which is the sense of pursuing. He is going after God's heart. It's like he's chasing God's heart. And so there's a sense that is, this is also about the idea that, that somehow not only does David reflect God's heart, but he was also always looking to see what God's heart was doing. And hopefully, in, these, in this sermon series, we will be inspired to pursue God's heart. And as we look at the life of David in subsequent weeks, we will learn what it means to have God's heart, and we will be chasing after God's heart. We will be following after God's heart. We will be trying to find out what God's heart means for us individually and as a community. Um, I'm afraid the bad news is that before we can start looking at David, um, which is all very positive and exciting, we need to actually go back a stage And we're not going to talk about David hardly at all this week because we need to look at how the kingship in Israel developed. We need to look at how the king, the kingship began in the people of Israel. So we don't actually start with David. We're actually going to start with um, Saul. So this is really important this week. This is a pre-week for the rest of it. It's the launch for the rest of it. So Joe, come and do the reading. That'd be brilliant. And then we will look at the story together. Thank you. Okay, so uh, today's reading is from 1 Samuel. There's a few verses starting um, chapter 8, and then we'll be skipping to chapter 13. Saul becomes king of Israel. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges for Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. And they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, Give a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. And they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do.
Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned over Israel 42 years. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, and Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done, asked Samuel? Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I've not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You acted foolishly, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader, to, leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Joe. So in this um, passage that Joe's just read for us, uh, we see hearts which are not hearts after God's heart, they are hearts which are against God's heart. Hearts which could be described as diseased hearts. And everyone in the story, all the key players apart from Samuel, are demonstrating that their hearts are diseased towards God. It is actually about rejection. They're rejecting God's ways, they're rejecting his sovereignty, and they are rejecting his word. And the first half of the story is all about how collectively the people had a diseased heart. The gathered people as a whole community had rejected God because they had a diseased heart. And the second half of the story is all about an individual, Saul, who became King Saul, who as an individual person had a diseased heart and rejected God. So we're looking at it collectively and we're looking at it individually. So let's pick up the story. So Samuel, who's been the judge and the prophet of Israel, approaches old age and he appoints his sons as Israel's leaders. But it, as we've just heard, his sons don't follow his ways. They turn aside after dishonest gain. They accept bribes and they perverted justice. Now this is, uh, this is it's very important that we, we understand what was going on here. This was a total rejection uh, by these sons of Samuel to God's ways. And if we can have the next slide, please, uh, Noah, thank you. So what we have is they were rejecting God's um, commands because they'd been told in Exodus, do not accept a bribe. They were rejecting God's commands, but they were also rejecting God's nature. They were rejecting the very essence of who God was. From Deuteronomy, we see that God is a God who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. The very things that these sons of Samuel were doing. So they rejected his word, his command, and they rejected his nature. They weren't going after his heart. 
They were from a place of dis-ease in their own heart. They were rejecting God's ways. And so understandably, the elders of Israel, the collective people, they approach Samuel to complain. And they say, you're old. Your sons don't follow your ways. We don't want you anymore. They, he, they say, you're too old. And they say that your sons are misbehaving. And I think this is understandable. If you were led by people who were... Um, who are not following godly ways, who are rejecting God's ways, who are acting in this way, then understandably, they want a change of leadership. I think that's natural. But this is what happens. They say this. Now, Samuel, appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. So in this kind of vacuum of, of decent power and authority over them, they ask for a king such as all the other nations have. Now, why? Well, a king would be a symbol for them. It would be a symbol of their national power, their national unity. A king would lead them into battle, and a king would also provide security and safety for them as a people from their enemies. The people had looked at other nations around them and said, they've got kings. And maybe out of envy or maybe out of fear, they thought, well, that's what we need. If they have them, then that's what we need. Now, again, on the surface, I've said this, it doesn't seem unreasonable. It seems like um, quite a sort of rational, logical thing to say. This system of judges has kept going wrong and, 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 and it's not going well and you, these, these sons of Samuel's are useless and we want a king and it seems to work for the other nations. But the problem is this, is this is another moment of rejection. This is another reflection of their dis-ease because quite simply, the people of Israel already had a king. They already had a king. Verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 12, it says this, we want a king, you said we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. They already had a king. So by asking for a human king, they were rejecting God's kingship in their lives. And not only did they have a king, but they already had a king who would protect them and who would fight their battles. Chapter 10, verse 19, you have now rejected your God who saves you out of all your disasters and calamities. They already had a king who did all the things that they were asking in a human king. So they were rejecting God's kingship in their lives. Now, not surprisingly, this um, rather depresses, uh, not depresses, displeases Samuel. And so he prays to God and he says, God, you know what's going on here? And surprisingly to Samuel, God says, it's okay. You can listen to the people. And God goes on to explain to Samuel, who I guess was probably taking a bit personally and probably with a sense of guilt because his sons had messed up. He'd taken it personally. God says, Samuel, it's not you they're rejecting. It's not your sons they're rejecting. They have rejected me as their king. So Samuel's told to listen and to grant their request. You see, kingship in itself, human kingship, was not a sinful thing. 
God puts people in authority. That human leadership is not a sinful thing in itself. But as I've already said, what was wrong here was the kind of king they wanted and the reasons they wanted it and ultimately their rejection of the king they already had. Verse 8, I don't know if you picked up on this. Um, I think you can really hear God's heart and it's a, a very soft and grieving heart for the people. Let me read it to you again. He, God explains to Samuel why, why he's been rejected and how he feels about that. He says this, verse 8, As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt. God is saying, look, these people, I've rescued them from slavery. And yet, as they have done every day, They've forsaken me. They've served other gods. Can you not hear God's heart there? I think he's brokenhearted that his people yet again have rejected him. It's funny how many of us, I think, when we reflect on our own sin, our own failures, we think God is strict and cross with us. I don't think he is. I think it breaks his heart. He doesn't rebuke us in his anger, I think he goes, oh, you've rejected me again and it breaks my heart because it's, it just pains me to see you reject me. I think God's heart is so big for his people. So the people collectively reject God as their king. And the story goes on, and you can read about this in, in, in chapters 9, 10, 11, 12, uh, that, that Saul does become the king. And so now the story jumps on, and now we have another angle on it. We have the angle of the individual heart diseased towards God's heart. And this is the heart of Saul. So chapter 13, verse 1, we see that Saul is appointed, and he is fighting the Philistines. But we, if you read chapter 13, it doesn't go very well. The Philistines are a very mighty army. And we see that in verse 6 of chapter 13, when the Israelites saw their situation was critical and their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets, among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. They are a frightened army. They are a frightened bunch of soldiers and they are hiding away from the Philistine army. And their numbers have been depleted. Now you see what happens is Samuel who is still God's prophet, he's still God's man, he's still God's word, the bringer of God's word, even though they is now a king. He's, he, he gives them specific instructions in chapter 10, verse 8. He says to this, he says, Go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, but you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. The, the key phrase here is, you must wait seven days until I come to you. You must wait until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. That is a clear instruction from God's mouthpiece to Saul and the people. Go to Gilgal, wait seven days, and you must wait until I come, representing God's word, until I come and tell you what to do. And so what happens is Saul remains at Gilgal and all the troops we read in verse 7 were quaking with fear. Again, understandably, they're terrified of the Philistine army and their numbers had been depleted. And so verse 8, we read that Saul waited the seven days as he was told to do. This was the time set by Samuel. 
But this is where he starts to waver. When Samuel did not turn up on the seventh day, Saul's men began to scatter. So the men who had been hiding in these caves and these thickets up the mountains, away from the Philistines, they'd waited the seven days, but they'd reached day seven. They didn't see any a relief from this oppression from the Philistine army, and they begin to scatter. They begin to desert Saul. And so Saul begins to panic. He must have also been terrified. He'd waited and all his men had gone. And so he says, he takes matters into his own hands. He says, verse 9, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Now, before we explore why, why that is um, why that was such a wrong thing to do, which we'll go back to in a second. I just want to, to make the point that um, this wasn't a one-off. And just a few chapters before, so not very long before, in chapter 7, we see that this exact same thing had happened before. Let me read you, I think we've got it on the screen, chapter 7, 9 to 10. Um, While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the battle began. But God thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. So in chapter 7, what had happened is Saul had, had, had followed God's instructions and he'd witnessed and experienced this moment that Samuel, the prophet, the, the man of God, had come along and done the sacrificing. And at the same time as Samuel was doing the, the worship, was sacrificing, at the same time, God raised up a mighty victory for, for, the, for the army and the Philistines were defeated that day. Do you see, that, that, was, that, was, that was how it was meant to work. Samuel does the sacrificing bit. The army win the battle under God's strength, under God's hand. So Saul had seen this. Saul knew this. Only relatively recently, he'd witnessed the right way to, to trust God. He had every reason to trust God because God had demonstrated just a, a short time before that if you do it the proper way and Samuel does the sacrificing, then God will give you a victory. But in his fear, in chapter 13, he takes matters into his own hands. And he doesn't wait for Samuel to come. And he doesn't wait to be told through, from God, through Samuel, what he is to do. And he takes matters into his own hands and he does the sacrifice. Samuel now arrives and he says to Saul, verse 11, what have you done? And Saul says, well, I saw that the men were scattering and you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. So I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I've not sought the Lord's favour. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. It's interesting, isn't it? That thing he says, I've not, he'd thought he hadn't sought the Lord's favor. But by taking matters into his own hands, he was actually, he was actually rejecting the Lord's ways. He, wasn't, he thought, he wasn't, see, he, thought I, he wasn't seeking the Lord's favor, and so he thought he would try and do that, but he did it in a way which wasn't obedient to the word of God. And therefore, he wasn't actually seeking the Lord's favor when he took the sacrifice. And Samuel says, Saul, you have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. 
You see, there was a difference between Israel, Israel's kings and the kings of the nations around them. The kings of Israel were supposed to acknowledge that there was a higher king. The kings of the, of the ungodly nations around them, they were the king, they were the top. But there was an obligation on the kings of Israel to acknowledge that they had a higher king, that they served the king of kings, that they served God Almighty. And so there was an obligation as part of Saul's responsibility to be the king was that he listened to the God's commands and he followed God's commands and he trusted God's commands and he was obedient to them. So he, wasn't, he didn't have autonomy to do what he likes. I'm the king, I can do what he likes. He was only the king under the authority of the greater king. And in making these choices himself, he rejected that position. He said, I'm the king, I'm going to do it. And he rejected God's kingship over him. He didn't fear the Lord. On, on some levels, this story seems a little bit harsh, and I think we have some sympathy for Saul, maybe. But what's interesting, if you read on, in chapter 15, we see that he does a similar thing. There's another similar story in chapter 15 where he does a similar thing. He's commanded to do something, and he rejects God's command. So there's clearly something in Saul's heart which was rejecting God's command and rejecting God's ways for him. This has huge significance for Saul, huge consequence. You've done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. If he had only obeyed God's word, his name and his dynasty would have been established over Israel for all time. But instead, we read in chapter 15, verse 11, God says, I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. There's an interesting question there about God regretting a decision. Isn't that an interesting phrase? God regrets a decision. Maybe you could argue about that with your friends sometime. We haven't got time to go into that now. Instead, says Samuel, verse 14, Saul, your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you, Saul, have not kept the Lord's command. We might think um, this is just a good old Bible story and it's, it's a complex Bible story. But it's a good Bible story, isn't it? It's a great story of, you know, and, and the whole David is a great story, isn't it? Giants and kings and battles and all the rest of it. It's like a fairy story. But the reality is it's not a fairy story. This is a historical account. And I think it's useful because I want to set a question for you this morning. Because you probably hear this story and go, we'd never do that. I'd never do that. Collectively, we'd never do that, would we? Individually, we'd never do that. Don't be silly. We'd, we'd, of course, follow God's instructions. He's had a clear instruction from Samuel. We've seen Samuel do the business before. We're going to trust God through Samuel. So we're going to, we'd never do that. But I think, if we're honest, we do do that. Sometimes, don't we? And I think sometimes if we're honest, and I'm honest with... And I'm being honest to myself, our hearts sometimes are diseased. 
And maybe this great sermon series we're going to have in the next five or six weeks or whatever will actually be more positive because it'll help us see what a, what a good heart, a godly heart looks like. And we'll begin to, to see where we actually resonate with God's heart. But I think at the beginning, it's quite helpful to have this challenge. Now, as Andy helpfully reminded the 845 congregation, because I think I condemned them all, um, the, 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 Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit doesn't condemn you. But sometimes the Holy Spirit convicts us. So I, 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 want, I want this, we've sung, what's been brilliant in the worship today is we've sung lots of songs about God's grace, haven't we? We've sung about what God did for us on the cross. So we come to this challenge from a place of grace. We don't come at it from a place of guilt. We come from grace. We know that's the foundation of our faith is, is what God has done for us even though we don't deserve it. That is grace. But in that place of grace, we need to ask ourselves an honest question. And not so that we're convicted, but not so that we're condemned, but maybe so we're convicted of, what's, of the disease in our hearts. And we need to say to ourselves, do we either collectively or individually ever do what the people of Israel did in this story? Do we as an individual ever reject God like Samuel's sons did or like King Saul did? Do we ever do that? Now, you need to examine your own hearts with, in, with your own integrity before God. And you need to say, God, is there something in my heart which isn't trusting you and is a bit like the characters in this story? Do I, Mark, does Mark ever reject God's kingly authority in my life? I'm pretty sure I do. Do I ever lack trust that God will provide and protect me lots of the time? Do I, Mark, ever lack trust in God's word and his ways and therefore sometimes walk in a disobedience to him? Yes, I do. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts, to reveal where our hearts are diseased, to bring healing and wholeness again to our hearts, and reveal how he wants us to move forward as people after God's heart, like David was. When I was, um, when I was uh, looking at this a couple of weeks ago, what struck me was the contrast between Saul's actions and Jesus' actions. And what's really interesting, isn't it, um, Verse 14, now your kingdom will not endure. So Saul's kingdom will not endure. In other words, his name will be wiped out. He won't start a dynasty. But who replaced him? King David. And David was a man after God's own heart. And guess what? Jesus was from the line of David. That's the legacy that, that Saul threw away from his place of disease. That's that's he could have we could we at Christmas we could be singing um um, about, um, I can't think of a Christmas carol with, with David in it, but there's loads, aren't there? A, a little town of Bethlehem. Oh, no, you're thinking of that one, but it's, it, yeah, no, you know, born of David's line, was born of David's line, born of Saul's line. That's what we'd be singing in six weeks, uh, eight weeks' time, whenever Christmas is. Sorry, I'm going, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously getting, it is too, you're right, Jeanette, it's much too early for Christmas. We haven't even had Halloween yet. Um, so, <laughs> anyway, let's get back on track. 
Um, Saul, if Saul, we could have been singing about Saul's line. Jesus could have come from Saul's line. I mean, I know it wouldn't have then been Jesus. It would have been God's death. God would have made it work, wouldn't he? But, but, but it's, it's David's line because David had a heart which was after God's heart, not a diseased heart. And so it brings us naturally to Jesus. And I just want to close um, with three parallels. I've talked about these three rejections, a rejection of God's kingly authority, a, rege- a lack of trust in God's provision and security, and a lack of trust and obedience in God's word and his ways. And, and I just want to share three little snippets from the life of Jesus, which completely show the best way to respond. Um, two of them come from the temptation of Jesus. This is the first one. So this is from Matthew 4, verse 8 to 10. I think we've got that on the screen. The devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, Satan said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Where Saul rejected God's kingship in his life, where the people of Israel collectively rejected the kingship of God in their lives, Jesus said no. I will worship the Lord my God and I will serve him only. The second one, this lack of trust in God's provision and security, also comes from um, Jesus' temptation in the desert. Matthew 4, 3 to 4. The tempter, again, Satan, came to, comes to Jesus and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God where the people of Israel and Saul trusted their own way, their human way, Jesus shows absolute trust in the Father that he will provide what he needs. And finally, this third one, this lack of trust and obedience to God's ways. This is from the Garden of Gethsemane before Jesus goes to the cross and gives his life for us. Matthew 28, going a little farther, he fell down with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. And then he says these incredible words of submission and obedience to the word and the will of God. Not as I will, but as you will. Where Saul had said, actually, I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to reject your authority in my life. I'm going to do it my way because I'm scared, because I'm afraid, because I feel alone, because I feel vulnerable. Jesus, who was scared and alone and afraid and vulnerable. Jesus, who had more power than Saul ever had, fell to his knees and says, in obedience to the Father, not my will, but your will. So if we're to be people after God's heart, then we need to turn from our rejection of God. We need to allow God to heal our diseased hearts, and we need to trust him. We need to trust him as our king. We need to trust his kingly rule in our lives. We need to trust that he will protect us and provide us. And we need to trust his word and walk in obedience to it. Let's stand. I'm going to pray. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. 
and we've heard lots of words and stories and thoughts. And, but now we need you to come, shine your goodness and your light into our hearts and reveal to us in a gentle, gracious way where our hearts are diseased, diseased before you. And Holy Spirit, we need you to come in and begin to heal those parts of our hearts which are not trusting. Holy Spirit, we need you to show us where we can pursue your heart. We need you to fill us, Holy Spirit, so that we are equipped and enabled to be people who go after God's heart. Come, Holy Spirit.